0: Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 41K podcast. This week's topic: the 401 k engine lights for planned sponsors. Uh, of course, first things first, uh, that 41k Sign up um, for all our virtual live events and live events. Uh, we'll be in Texas in May. We will be in the Bronx, New York, uh, in June. We've got a virtual event at the end of January. Close to fifty people already signed up for that, which is great. Um, If you get the emails from me, you could sign up for free. If not, you pay a couple bucks on the website. So let's get to the topic. And it's the end of the year, so uh, you know, with that last week uh, vacation that you know I always take, so that means we gotta you know record a couple episodes because we always try to have new content. Um, every Friday, and, uh, we don't do best-ofs and all that kind of stuff. So, um, in terms of, um, these days with vehicles, obviously they're well-built, um, you know, I always talk the story about the uh, cars in the 70s and how poorly built they were. I remember my parents had a 77 Monarch, and, uh, 1977 Mercury Monarch, um, which was also the Mercury version of the Ford Granada. And uh, I remember by 82, car needed a new alternator. And I only remember that because the, uh, the mechanic rebuilt the alternator and we went, we we're supposed to go on a trip to New England and right over the bridge, it was a small little bridge um, on the New York State Thruway into the Connecticut Turnpike where you get into like, I guess, Greenwich and the car stalled. Um, these days we we didn't know what the problem with the car was. It was the alternator wasn't working again and found the, found the mechanic uh, nearby who fixed the car and all that kind of stuff. So that was, uh, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun back in those days. And these days, obviously cars are, are better built. My, both my cars are over 11 years old and, um, you know, thanks to technology You know, any trouble with the car, light will flash up. Um, In my neck of the woods, um, the uh, tire light shows up a lot. I don't know. uh, My cars tend to have magnets for nails and all that kind of stuff. But 401k plan sponsors don't have that check engine line. Uh, there are warnings that the plan is not operating uh, up to snuff. So plan sponsor really look, has to be proactive, look under the hood, see if there are any issues. And, um, you know, there are certain issues that are, are warning lights. And uh, right off the bat, the late deposit of solid deferrals. Um, for years, there was a definition of salad deferral deposits that uh, we all relied on. It was the 15th day of the following month. And still to this day, I get emails. I have a client, I have one TPA client, um, and they wanted to rely on that. And I said, well, you know, you can't. For about 10 years now, I wanna say, probably a little bit longer. You can't rely on that safe harbor. In the days when everything was done by check, yeah, you could rely on it. Technology really didn't catch up. Um, you know, back in the day when 401k plans uh, uh, were started back in the 80s, and certainly into the 90s, everything was done by check, even even in this uh, millennium. Up to a certain point, it was all check. And, you know, the thing or two about checks, people forget. You know, these days, you have a check, you um, you know, I go get my mail, I deposit the check, the cash is there that day, depending on the amount, or the following day. In the old days, I remember uh, there was a local bank around the corner from my house in Canarsie, Brooklyn. And uh, you know, it would be five days for an out-of-state check to clear. So there'd be a hold on it. And obviously there was a hold if the amounts were over 10 grains. And, of course, the worst thing to do with the local bank pre-direct uh, deposit is I think it was the third day of the month when everybody in town got their Social Security check. So you would have a line at the door. Um, and uh, it just was not fun. And obviously, technology has changed. Everything was done through ACH. I worked at a TPA firm. Uh, and I've told the story, uh, the guy running the place, the day-to-day guy he was on the fifth floor, the most miserable person you've ever met. Uh, and he was just he was just a miserable guy and even in the days of ACH, he wanted all the clients to FedEx him the check for the salad deferrals. Um, and that predates the change the Department of Labor had because I left that firm. 16 years ago, but I want to say within the last 12 to 15 years, 10 to 15 years, the Department of Labor said, yeah, you can't rely on that 15th day of the following month. You got to get it as soon as possible. And that could be, you know, as little as three days. Uh, there's no, you know, the Department of Labor just felt that that was an abuse. The 15th day of the following month, there should be no float. Employer should not make money on the float shouldn't wait like you know 30 days or 25 days and make money and interest on the float and obviously on the compliance end you know you have employers you know uh, in, in financial problems and if you allow them at 15th day of the following month they will use those solid all monies for their own purposes i mean i've known you know i've, I've had two uncles go belly up with a company where the tax withholding, they, they they tried to make money on that flip and the tax withholding, if you pocket the tax withholding for employees, the IRS will come after you and there's personal liability involved with that. I learned that from tax procedure and around the same time that my uncles were going belly up in this uh, Fakakta indoor amusement park business. But thanks to web transactions, ACH, you know, the Department of Labor, again, had that interpretation, you got to get it as soon as possible. So they've been clamping down on it. We know that. Your, you know, question on the Form 5500. And, uh, you know, if you are, um, you know, late, um, it took you over a week to put in deposits, you got a question on the Form 5500. You can't lie. You're filing those forms under the penalties of perjury. So, you know, those are the issues at hand. Um, You know, uh, and and the problem with these late deferrals is I've never met an employer who only did it once. Because if you do it once, you do it multiple times. Same thing like taking, you know, being late, uh, 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 taking out a library book. If you didn't return it back, I've never met a person who had a late return only once. They do it multiple times. It's just a habit. And obviously, um, you know, we have a correction process to self-correct it. Uh, the problem with the Department of Labor is they want to, you know, they you can self-correct it and then about a year or two later they could say, you know what, by the way, we saw that you had late deposit deferrals. Um, we don't have an application for you from the Voluntary Fiduciary Compliance Program. So, you know, uh, it's an issue. It's an engine light. Uh, obviously, that's a serious problem. That's got to be self-corrected. And the problem again is, plant sponsors just don't do it once. Next is, you know, as I always say, the the positive side of deferrals is the most. It's the biggest error out there. The second one is definition compensation. It's surprising how many plan sponsors and their TPAs get it wrong. So, obviously, most of the time it's plan sponsors. And the plan sponsors, how do I say this nicely? Um, I come from the school of keep it simple, stupid. Kiss. Uh, not, you know, not in uh, loyalty to the uh, rock bands who had their, like, 50 millionth um, retirement tour just now but plant sponsors sometimes want to make life difficult and you know they don't want to uh, match or do a profit sharing on bonuses or some level compensation Uh, one of the weird ones I always remember was we had an automotive group and they didn't want to pay contributions on the uh, car allowances for uh, you know salespeople at the dealership Um, You know the the problem is that the plan sponsor thinks they're excluding it, and the plan document saying something else. So there may be a corrective contribution that's owed. There may be this deferral opportunity. Just not too long ago, I had a client that uh, you know had to fork over forty thousand dollars for you know dismissing employer contributions. You missed deferral opportunities and the problem is these errors again um, don't happen just one year it happens over a few year period before they discover the error just had uh, you know another plan sponsor had issues or the, the plan was audited and the auditor just realized that this year even though it's been going on for five six years now i again to keep it simple stupid theory let them defer on the on the uh, let them defer on the bonus. Let them you know let them get a contribution on the bonus. I mean I, maybe I'm biased because I was the guy who got a three hundred dollar bonus one time from Harvey Berman and never got another holiday bonus. Um, until you know I started my practice. But uh, there's you know you're, you're just asking for trouble. That's how I see it. The TPA may draft it, the plan document, one way. The plan sponsor thinks it's another way. And voila, they owe a lot of money as a contribution. I just think it's, uh, you know, you're asking for trouble. I don't like to ask for trouble, and that's it. Next is failed compliance testing. That's obviously another check engine. Light. You know, plans are... Be qualified. They gotta follow these rules. One big rule is um, we wanna make sure that plans don't discriminate in favor of highly compensated employees. Uh, Obviously, there's uh, you know there's ADP, ACP, there's coverage, there's uh, top heavy. um, You know there may be if you have a Uh, Out-of-the-box definition of compensation may have a test there, benefits, rights, and features, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, obviously if a plan sponsor, you know, you have trouble uh, with one of these tests, obviously that's a concern. Same thing with the ADP test. ADP test is probably the one biggest failure that we always see. And a plan sponsor just doesn't, you know, usually you could see the problem, you know, sometimes they come close to failing and then they eventually fail. And most people just fail no matter what. It's just the nature of their business. Uh, You know, my daughter works at a local pizzeria. They're not going to have a 401k plan until New York State requires them to have one because the ADP, you're paying people, you know, minimum wage, you're paying people above minimum wage. Um, you may have, you know, people who just, you know, can't afford one reason or another, even if you're paying them 16 bucks an hour. Uh, it's 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 a hard thing. You know, the owner of the company, the owner of the pizzeria, yeah, he can afford it. His wife probably could afford it. Um, the rest of the employees probably can't. That's just the nature of the business. It's different from, let's say, a law firm or accounting practice. So, You know, obviously, uh, the problem with a failed test is there's got to be correction. You know, ADP, the cheap way to go is to do refunds to HCEs, which isn't popular because that's taxable income. The Govies do a QNIC. They can add a safe harbor design. There's so many ways to fix this. But if there's an issue with a compliance test um, one year, it's guaranteed that'll be a problem the following year. And again, safe harbor to me is one of the best you know, I, I, I worked in this business before the Safe Harbor. Safe Harbor is the best thing ever. I was working with Safe Harbor before they, uh, before Ektra said you could use it to satisfy Top Heavy. It's, it's you know, for the people that can afford it, for the plane sponsors can afford it, it's a great thing to fix uh, and, and not deal with the discrimination tests. Um, you know, the ADP, ACP, Top Heavy. But, uh, you know, outside of that, it could be certainly a, a big issue. Check engine light on participant education. Uh, I always talk about this. Um, ERISA 404C, one of the biggest misnomers in the 401K plan business. Uh, plan sponsors don't automatically get exempted from liability for participants' losses from uh, their own investments. They have to provide enough information to uh, you know to participants in order for them to make informed investment decisions um that means putting a process in place uh so many plans still to this day don't educate the participants don't have an ips don't have an advisor it's obviously a lot better than it was 20 years ago but uh you know plant sponsors don't want to educate participants or have enrollment meetings A lot of them don't want to do that because it takes time from work and, you know, come on, (laughs) you got to go to work. You you can't, you can't futz. You can't waste my time. I'm paying for this. And they don't want to schedule the enrollment meetings and the education meetings. And that's obviously a problem. Uh, You have to. You have to give participants enough information so they can make their own investment decisions and uh, that means working with an advisor, developing an investment policy statement, and uh, you know, just providing that education at an on-site meeting. Um, you know, I always joke the story about you know giving me Morningstar profiles where I used to work. Uh, they didn't you know review the plan for ten years. They didn't have an advisor. That's not going to work. That isn't going to help you. Uh, you're going to get no liability protection whatsoever by doing that so if a plan is not giving education plan participants and it's self-directed investments you have a huge issue last but not least loans uh you know i've always said i don't like loans in 401k plans but that's a reality that you have to offer the in my opinion you have to offer it participants have a right to their money it's their money uh, predominantly their money, uh, unless they don't defer and somehow the the plan gives a profit sharing contribution, it's their money. Um, they you know they may need it buy a house. I think my you know my parents, uh, I think my mother took out a four four three B loan I want to say out of to, to pay for their house in Long Island. They weren't exactly the best money managers out there, uh, but they had that opportunity. And, you know, they, they paid it off, whatever it was. Life, you know, the idea is, you know, these assets are for retirement, but, you know, life gets in the way. And the problem with it um, is obviously uh, the mistakes made in paying off loans. Uh, you offer multiple loans, TPA, and plant sponsor may forget to have a plant participant pay off one on a timely basis, and... <laughs> There may be uh, a deemed distribution because it was a default. So, you know, a delinquent loan is a taxable event. There's nothing worse than getting a 1099 for a $30,000 deemed distribution and it's the fault of the plan sponsor or plan provider, namely the CPA that didn't pay off the loan. So if there are issues with that, um, and it's, of course, discovered later. There may be a prohibit transaction problem. So I think that this is just, you know, uh, an issue at hand. And uh, it's something that obviously has to be uh, fixed. And again, I think the one of the greatest fixes is to only allow one multiple loan at a time. And I've told the story, I think, countless times where, you know, we had... New client came to us as a TPA, and one of the big things is they, they couldn't deal with um, it was a commercial carpet company, fancy, fancy carpet. I don't think they're in business anymore. You had a plan participants with six to seven loans outstanding. One got paid off, at a, you know, one one or two didn't get paid off, so people had these deemed distributions and, uh, you know, getting 1099. So they come on board with us. I wrote the plan document. Changed it to one loan outstanding. We grandfathered it for those who had the multiple loans, but going forward, only one loan outstanding. And I wanna say, the issue of course came when one of the participants who had multiple loans came out and wanted a new one. And our phone help said, oh yeah, you can take it out. There's multiple loans outstanding. And uh, the advisor flipped out. And the woman who was in charge of conversions uh, lied and said that I drafted the plan with multiple loans outstanding. Now she just put the specs in the system from the old TPA, and uh, that created a little little bit of a hubbub, uh, which, of course, always plays to my joke that sometimes with these plan administrators, if you wanted to hide something, you put it in the plain document file. I work with administrators who would never read it because, you know, they would look at what was on, you know, Relias. And the problem with that is what you know, it's it's like the Rodney Dangerfield joke in uh, Back to School, which I always reference. Where his son Jason wanted to buy books that were already highlight highlighted, from, you know. Rodney Dangerfield's character Thornton Mellon said, Well, what if the person highlighting it was a maniac? And so, you know, our administrators would, would rely on this woman in charge of conversions. I still can't believe has a, has a job in this industry. Um, she would, uh, you know, put it in correctly because she didn't know what the heck she was doing. So, you know, uh, that's where we had a lot of errors and a lot of issues. So that's, uh, you know, that's a problem. But if a plane has loan issues, uh, the way around it, uh, it's a, you know, obviously an issue going forward that's got to be fixed. But you know, going forward, again, that multiple loan outstanding to me is one of the biggest issues of all. So anyway, I hope you uh, enjoyed this episode of that 4K podcast. Tune in next week. I think that's going to be the 29th or something. And uh, there'll be a new episode because I'll have recorded it. While I'm in Florida, uh, I won't have to take my... Microphone and my old computer, and, and, and you know, record on vacation. So, hope you enjoyed this episode and tune in next week for another episode of that 4K podcast.